You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to the Chicago White Sox edition of MLB.com Extras. Matt Wehmeyer on the phone with White Sox reporter Scott Merkin. Scott, thanks for your time on this Monday as we kind of uh, recap what happened with the club at the winter meetings in Nashville uh, last week. I think the most uh, notable deal that the White Sox pulled off is acquiring third baseman Brett Laurie from the A's, but in the process uh, gave up a pretty promising minor league uh, pitcher to get him. Uh, what do you think of this deal for the Pale Hose? Yeah, it's a good deal. You know, they, they really were kind of uh, – Laurie was a target for a while for them, and you know they had sort of four third basemen, I was told, in mind. Uh, Laurie, Jumbo Cabrera, who signed almost immediately – or agreed to terms almost immediately with the Mets right after the Sox announced the Laurie trade. Um, Todd Frazier, who I don't think is out of their picture yet, and then a mystery candidate, which is always good this time of year. You need that mystery candidate. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's very versatile. He's an athletic kid. As of right now, as of, you know, when we tape this on December 14th, he's the starting third baseman. That could change by the time we're done taping it, or it could change in February, or he may be the third baseman. You know, he, he can play second also, and that's what they like about him. They have two years of control over him, so it's a good deal. Yeah, you know, they gave up their uh, fourth-round draft pick from last year, Zach Irwin, and talked to Dick Hostetler, who's the director of amateur scouting and running the draft this year, and was the assistant last year, and they really liked him, and they said, you know, the fact that the A's were going after him shows how much he was admired in the scouting community, even if he isn't considered, you know, according to MLB.com, he was not one of our top 30 prospects. They also got J.B. Wendelkin, who's you know, more of a, a reliever, middle to late inning reliever type, acquired in the, obviously, Al Garcia, first team trade back in 2013. So I think it's a good deal for him. I really do. I think they needed a third baseman. They needed a little extra punch. They needed that edge, and Laurie provides all three of them, really. You know, Scott, when you when you look at uh, Brett Laurie, he's going to be joining his uh, third team here in three seasons. Of course, he was, you know, kind of came up with uh, the, the Blue Jays, and then he was sent to the A's in the Josh Donaldson deal last offseason. That worked out pretty well for Toronto as Donaldson goes on to win the MVP. Now Laurie's on his way to the south side to play third base uh, for the White Sox. You know, there's a lot of these guys in baseball that – the numbers right now don't jump off the page, but Laurie, he's been around a while, but he's still only in his mid-20s. And is there a sense, like, when, when the White Sox look at him, do they kind of say to themselves, you know, he, he's right there. He, he's on the verge of, of really breaking through and, and turning the corner. Is there kind of that sense which motivated them to make this deal with the A's to get Laurie? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting point. Rick Hahn, the White Sox general manager, talked a little bit about that, that you know, even though he's been in the league a while, I believe this is going to be his seventh year and he's played for three teams, he's still only in his mid-20s, and he's got a lot of upside. He's still, you know, sometimes it takes one spot for a player to click, and the White Sox are hoping that's it for Brett. You know, uh, U.S. Cellular Field, especially during those warmer summer months, is known more as a hitter's ballpark. There have been a couple guys who have come over who would probably argue that as they've kind of struggled, you know, there. Uh, Melky Cabrera at the start last year and Adam LaRoche all throughout the 2015 season, but... I think the White Sox are hoping the combination of that, you know, just the ballpark, the fit, kind of giving him this chance to you know, really take off will help him. And, and they do they do really believe with his athletic ability there's a lot of upside there, even with the numbers that have been established this far in his career. 
Yeah, he's a he's a good clubhouse guy. You don't read anything bad about him. He's you know he's he's energetic. Certainly a colorful guy. He's got you know tattoos head to toe. So you notice him when he's out there on the field. I'm sure he's noticed in the clubhouse too. It could be a really good fit for the White Sox. I'm sure they're banking on that in uh, in 2016. Scott, I want to get your thoughts. You know, if we go back to this time last year, uh, this White Sox team kept you plenty busy because they right. were the ones generating headlines left and right and up and down. Big name acquisitions almost every other day, it seemed. This year, that's not the case. Uh, they've been much more subdued. Yes, they made the Lori deal, but overall, uh, their activity in Nashville was uh, was modest, you know, to at least compared to other clubs. The Cubs, uh, certainly, and, and some other teams out there. You know, did last did what happened last year play a part in that where they got all these big names, they spent all this money, they made all these trades, and then they really had a difficult 2015 season in any way did that create some reluctance on their part to kind of go that route again this offseason? No, I don't think so. I just think maybe their targets are a little bit tougher to obtain this summer. And I think, you know, they're still looking at and talking to the Reds about Todd Frazier, which would then move Laurie over to second base and give the White Sox a power-hitting third baseman. You hear different rumblings about some of the free agent outfielders. I, I really think the White Sox, as we sit right now, have three draft picks in the first 50, and I really do believe they're going to hold on to those. I don't see them signing any player who needs uh who will require compensation if you sign a draft compensation so i just i don't think it was gun shy or anything like that or afraid of what happened last year i think first of all you have some guys who are in spots now who are signed and you can't just you know for instance if you somehow do add another outfielder well you got to figure out what you're going to do then because you already have three outfielders set in garcia Eaton, and cabrera you have trace thompson who made quite an impact albeit in you know limited 140 plate appearances and he's in play now and you still have the Roshan Abreu sharing first in DH. So, you know, unless you can petition Major League Baseball to get a, a short center fielder, you got to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your outfield, too. So I think there's a lot of moves that kind of work hand-in-hand. Hand. The White Sox worked and, you know, went after things, and I think this was the best move they had. And, you know, I, I don't think they're done. As, as Rick Hahn said, well, two things. You know, he didn't get a trophy for winning the offseason last year. Him and San Diego seemed to make the most moves, and neither of them really were close to contention. And no one's ever going to, you know, be on July 15th looking at a guy hitting 330 saying, well, you know, he's playing great for the Sox, but, man, it would have been great if we could have got him when we were in Nashville. You know, it, it's just – it's as long as they laid the groundwork there and feel like they have a chance at something else, then, you know, it was good they made the move they did, but they still have plenty of time to kind of finish off the, the move they're making towards 2016. Yeah, excellent points uh, all around, Scott. Uh, they completely revamped uh, their catching unit. Gone are Tyler Flowers and uh, Giovanni Soto, and in are Alex Avila and DeAndre Navarro, <clears throat> excuse me, who could both uh, conceivably compete for the starting job in spring training uh, for the 2016 campaign. What do the White Sox feel that they gained with the former tandem of Avila and Navarro as opposed to the guys they let go in Soto and uh, Flowers? Good veteran combination, you know, good leadership in the clubhouse. I heard great things about Avila for, and at the winter meetings from the Detroit, Detroit people who covered him. And the same about Navarro, pretty much. And, you know, much a big offensive jump, I think. You know, the pitchers really like throwing to Tyler Flowers. He ended up on his feet, too, in Atlanta. But I think with Avila, who's stronger against righties, and the switch hitting Navarro, who's stronger against lefties, you really have, you know, a better offensive punch there. And maybe the games they lost by one or two runs. And, again, you certainly cannot put last season's offensive struggles strictly on Flowers and Soto. I think both of them would have been just fine and would have kept going with the White Sox if the lineup as a whole was better than it was last year, and it wasn't. You know, if you put them in that combination in the Toronto lineup, they're great because there's six or seven other guys hitting, but guys just weren't hitting last year. 
and, and I don't think it's going to be that big a drop-off in terms of pitch framing and calling games and that kind of thing, if a drop-off at all. So really the basis of it is two good veteran guys better offensively for the White Sox. So, Scott, uh, when you look at uh, the White Sox team needs uh, at the end of the 2015 season compared uh, compared to how the roster looked then, compared to how the roster looks right now, and, and again, we're talking here on December 14th, there's a long way to go in the hot stove season. A, a ton of things could be done between now and uh, opening day in April. But uh, with where the team is right now, if you had to give out a grade in terms of the holes they had to fill and the needs they needed to address, how would you assess the White Sox offseason so far? Well, I would plead to a cop out and say in, I'd give an incomplete. They can still make up their final before the end of the semester. But I would, I would say the moves they made were you know, probably B. I mean, they, they've, they've added quality guys. I guess some would say you, know, you have Avila and Navarro for just one year each you know, in, in the catching tandem. So was it that big a change from keeping Flowers and maybe someone else back there, Flowers and Avila for that matter? But I, I think, you know, it's a good move. And Laurie is going to be an excellent addition, if nothing else, for just his versatility, his attitude, his athleticism. But there's more room to go. I think they want another power. I know they want another power man in there. And they're always exploring, you know, ways to upgrade a pretty strong pitching staff. So I would say the most accurate grade right now is incomplete just because they're not, you know, they're not finished with what they're doing yet. Not finished by a long shot, that is for sure. Great stuff, as always, from White Sox reporter Scott Birkin. This is Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.